This is the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security, for November 8th, 2019. In this week's episode, a hack involving lasers, Apple simplifies security and legalese, iPad versus MacBook, diving into iPad OS 13, and our special guest, technology business consultant and industry veteran, Ian Shray. Now, here are the hosts of the Intego Mac podcast, veteran Mac journalist Kirk McElhern and Intego's chief security analyst, Josh Long. Okay, as we roll into the uh, darker period of the year, I think everyone has already switched back away from daylight saving time. So here, when we record, it's late afternoon. It's starting to get dark over there. Well, you guys are on the West Coast, so it's uh, starting to get light. Uh, this week, we have a guest, Ian Shrey. Ian is the host of The Committed Podcast, of which I also happen to be a team member. I'm on the roster. Ian, thanks for joining us. Thank you. It's really great to be here. I'm really excited to uh, talk about the roster of, of items. As usual, Josh is here to discuss news and everything else, and our main topic is going to be uh, comparing the iPad to a laptop, which is why I invited Ian, because he is a serious iPad user. But first, we've got some interesting news. Um, I particularly like this one about using lasers to hack Siri, Alexa, and Google Assistants. I've been waiting for, just like I've been waiting for flying cars, I've been waiting for lasers to come into these stories. Yes, exactly. And you know, uh, anything about lasers, if if lasers is in the title, I I have to I have to think about Dr. Evil, you know, and lasers, Scott, the sharks will have lasers on their heads. It's a it's an Austin Powers reference. See, I don't even get the reference. I knew I knew Kirk wouldn't get the reference. Yes, our our cultural references are extremely different. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But we both okay. agree that lasers are cool. They're also a Tom Cruise thing. Yeah, yeah. This is a very Tom Cruise style hack or attack. So if you remember there a long time ago, gosh, I don't know, was it even two years ago on the on the show, we talked once about this type of attack that you could use against uh, these digital home assistant devices. Um, you could use them against Siri or, uh, you know, uh, your Amazon uh, device or whatever it might be. And in that particular case, this was called a dolphin attack back then. That was the the hot topic where you could play a sound or recorded, you know, a sentence at a high pitch, so high that the human ear couldn't hear it, but that the device would still recognize it and pick it up and accept it as commands. Well, this goes a step further and a little into the more like obscure and probably less practical in terms of like a real world attack, but very interesting uh, d- diversion and and alternative, I guess, to the dolphin attack. This attack is called light commands, and although that sort of sounds like some kind of a sci-fi, you know, I don't know, a moon base or something, light command. Light commands is what they've called this attack method. And basically, it involves shooting lasers at a device that can accept voice commands. And somehow, and the researchers say, we don't really even understand why this happens, but when we shoot lasers at these things, 
it sort of interprets them as though they're sound. And we don't really know why this happens, but we're able to simulate someone talking and then issue voice commands through lasers. What it seems to me is that um, sound is vibrations in the air. And if the laser can go on and off and simulate the vibrations, I, I can imagine that this would be possible. My knowledge of quantum physics is relatively limited, but if something can be a wave and a particle, it could also be light or sound, I would assume. This is uh, this is a very strange attack. Now, what's interesting here and, and what makes this not practical in most real world scenarios is that, first of all, you have to get a laser within direct line of sight of the device that you're targeting. Um, and it has to be less than 360 feet from that device. Now, compared to dolphin attack, I mean, you probably have to be within 360 feet for, you know, your high pitched, you know, audio to get picked up by the device. So, I mean, the range is probably not that different, but, um, but just the idea that you have to have direct line of sight with a laser <laughs> to, to your device that you're trying to exploit. It seems a little bit impractical and probably not something that most spies would really use in the real world. Well, I disagree. This is the kind of thing that you're in a, an apartment across the street from someone, maybe a couple of floors up and you get at the right angle. Um, the, you'd have to couple this with perhaps an evil maid attack. So you'd have the evil maid move the device to the exact right spot. So the angle is right. Um, but <laughs> this sounds like something that would work well in a movie. But if you've already got an evil maid in that person's home, then they can do whatever. They can talk to that device and issue commands to it while they're in the room. Okay. What I find interesting is that this is a proof of concept and that the idea of <laughs> lasers actually working to create sound is pretty interesting. But yeah, yeah there, there are a lot of constraints here. So, so this brings us to another article. There'll be links to the Indigo Mac security blog for articles about both of these. Apple has updated its privacy page with a sleek new look. And, well, the lasers isn't entirely privacy, but um, it is in a way the fact that when you're using one of these devices, you expect it to only work for you um, as opposed to just anyone who can emulate a dolphin or have a, a handy pocket laser uh, to make it work. Apple's had a privacy page for a while, but what they've done is they've made it a lot more graphic there are a lot of explanations. There are a lot of animations. In fact, when you load the page, um, I really like the little animation. Um, the Apple logo, the stem on the Apple logo goes up and it turns into a padlock thing and turns around and locks on the Apple. If you go beyond the main page, if you click on features, you'll discover a number of privacy features that you might not know about. If you go to control, you'll see a number of explanations of how to use these different features. So for instance, two-factor authentication, and then there's a link to an article about that, six-digit passcodes, and then you can learn more about protecting your device, etc. Um, I was saying to Josh before the show that this is Apple upping their game with privacy as a market-leading feature. Yeah, and really, this is what we should see with privacy pages on everybody's website because this is accessible to your average user. You know, normally a privacy page on somebody's website, and by the way, this is at apple.com/privacy. Right. Normally, the privacy page on most companies' websites is just, you know, uh, it's just full of legalese. It's, it's a whole bunch of text. It's very difficult to read and really understand what on earth they're talking about. 
Um, as we talked about before, these privacy policies, because they're written by lawyers, you kind of have to have a really, really high, sophisticated understanding of the language to grasp what these things are saying. What Apple has done here is they've sort of taken, they do have a link to their full legalese privacy policy, but... Right, that's all the way at the bottom of the footer. It's the, the link marked legal, and that takes you to a page where you can access a number of things, software license agreements, um, intellectual property, privacy policy, etc. But what Apple is doing is their privacy page is not the same as the privacy pages of other companies, which, as you said, is just 50,000 words of boilerplate text. Right, right. The, the design, the interface makes it very user friendly. They've got small blocks of text using normal everyday human language and, you know, animations, videos um, to really illustrate how Apple's technologies are ostensibly keeping you private more so than the competition. So this is really good. I really like what Apple has done with the the redesign of this page. I feel as though Apple is seeing privacy as a feature, not as a liability. I think that they, and because they have ads on TV that do this too and use the same branding. They're trying to use this, I think, as a differentiator to the other companies out there, but they don't see this as something they have to do. I think they see this as a way to sell more product which is fine. Uh, but that's, I think that's absolutely their motivation here. And it shows. Right. A lot of what they're doing here is pointing out how you're protected when you're using Apple's apps. And I think that's good to know because people could be hesitant. You know, we, we talk about Facebook data breaches and we talk about all sorts of other um, privacy issues on this podcast. But when you realize that, for instance, here's, how maps works with your location history. Here's how photos protects your images from unwanted exposure. Um, iMessages being encrypted and all that. And I think this is really important for people to understand when we talk about some of these things on this podcast, they can sound really complicated and Apple's made it simple for civilians to understand. Right, right. That's, that's the real takeaway here. So um, by all means, check this out. It's really cool to look at apple.com slash privacy. And I hope that other companies will, you know, pay attention to what Apple's doing here and make their privacy pages much, much more user friendly. Okay, iPad versus MacBook. We're going into the death match here. I've written an article for the Intego Mac security blog, uh, where I discuss what's new in iPad OS and particularly what makes the iPad more, dare I say, computer-like? Um, and then uh, later in the article, I compare the two. You know, can an iPad replace a laptop? Now, Ian, for you, the iPad replaces a laptop, at least in your mobile work. I mean, we're talking now you've got an iMac, you're at home. But in your work and you travel a lot, you don't even take a laptop with you anymore, do you? I don't even have a laptop anymore. I tried this experiment uh, about a month and a half ago. My uh, daughter, who's now 16, uh, needed a laptop for school. And rather than going out and buying some Chromebook or something else, I loaned her. I just created a user account on my on my MacBook for her and loaned it to her just to see, see if I could do this for a week. Well, that was two months ago. So, and I haven't really looked back. Um, I think I, I've made apps for iPads in the past. And so I'm well aware of what they can and can't do. But with, I know we're going to get this, but with iOS 13, everything just completely changed. Okay, but this isn't new. You've been using the iPad for a couple of years. You've slowly increased your use of the iPad. And and you've been one of the people who's prompted me to use the iPad a little bit more and to try different things with the iPad. 
But it really is iPad OS 13 that makes a difference, isn't it? It's a big leap forward. Big, and I've been using iPad since the first one. I bought it the day it came out. I've, I've been complete. In fact, for me, iPads are more impressive for a technology than even the iPhone is. That, that It's flipped for me for most people. Uh, my phone's great, but I would much rather grab an iPad. Yeah. Um, I, I've been noticing lately, and I think I mentioned this on the committed once, that I'm starting to hate technology, particularly all the problems you get on the Mac that are hard to troubleshoot. And when you get a problem on an iPad, some of them are complicated, but usually the worst case is you reboot the iPad and everything's fine. It's There is a certain simplicity about the iPad, about iOS slash iPad OS, that is, has become more attractive to me over time. Okay, let's take a break. And when we come back, we'll talk a little bit more about what's new in iPad OS 13 and the pros and the cons. And there are a lot of cons in using an iPad instead of a laptop. If you or someone you know has got a new MacBook or iMac or switched to the Mac from Windows, be sure to check out Intego's new Mac User Center. It's a one-stop collection of the things you'll need to know about using your Mac. Intego's new Mac User Center covers plenty of the basics to get you running smoothly and smartly in no time. Of course, one of the first steps you'll want to take is to install Mac security software from Intego to keep yourself protected. And right now, Intego Mac Podcast listeners can get 40% savings on Intego software, including Mac Premium Bundle X9. Mac Premium Bundle X9 is a suite of terrific Intego software that includes the antivirus, anti-phishing, and anti-spyware protection of Intego Virus Barrier, home and hotspot firewall security from Intego Net Barrier, parental controls for peace of mind from Intego Content Barrier, and much more to help protect, secure, and organize your Mac. Download the free trial of Mac Premium Bundle X9 from Intego.com today. And then use the promo code PODCAST19 at checkout to save 40%. That's PODCAST19 to save 40% on complete Mac protection and security with Intego's Mac Premium Bundle X9. Intego, devoted to protecting Apple products since 1997. Visit Intego.com today. Okay, so iPadOS 13. Now, I highlighted a bunch of features that really stand out. Um, let's not spend too much time on them, but I, w one of the most important ones for me is the ability to work with files that you can now plug in uh, a USB device, uh, a hard drive, an SD card reader. But even better, you can mount a Mac or a PC. So when you get home, you can copy files to and from your iPad over Wi-Fi um, without any kind of hack or special app. How much how much work do you do with files, Ian? I do a lot of work with files. I don't do a lot of work with thumb drives and external storage. However, uh, there are times, you know, if I'm going to go give a presentation at a, uh, at a client location, uh, there are times that for whatever reason, I can't connect to their projector. And it's not even really an iPad thing. That just, there's just, there's, that stuff's magic, yeah. right? So I've ended up just taking the file, creating a PDF on the iPad out of a PowerPoint file or Keynote or whatever you're using, putting it on the thumb drive and handing it to the person who can connect. And that's where it becomes really useful. <laughs> so uh, I'm, I'm, not, I'm definitely not poo-pooing the idea of using a thumb drive because it's one of those where, wow, I'm so glad I can do this. I just rarely do. Okay. What about the changes to Safari? Now, Apple calls that a desktop class browser. Um, the big takeaway for me is 
I don't use Google Docs a lot. We use it for notes for this show. We use it for notes for the committed, and, and I use it with a couple of my clients. But this now means that I don't need to have a Google Docs app, that I don't need apps for a lot of different things that I use, that, that Safari can load these websites and work on them just as they would on a Mac. I think the Safari changes that you're describing in iPad OS 13 are the biggest single feature for me. They were really the one that led me to download and install the first beta, which I, I say I'm never going to do, but I end up doing because I really need to see how this worked. But I have a lot of apps that I use. Um, and I, when I, I don't mean apps like the, the way we think of downloading an app. I have a lot of services that I use, like HubSpot is one of them, Google Docs you mentioned. There are a number of others where the apps that you download and install have been usable over the years. And I mean on a feature standpoint, but now that I can use the actual web interface, which for these kinds of services is the primary way that they intend for you to use it, this makes all the difference. I don't need to mess around with these clunky apps. I don't need to worry about that stuff. I could just go to the website, use it. And I I have a grand total of one website that does not work properly on even on Safari, uh, on, on iPad OS one. And, you know, I, I can get around one, but there are dozens that work great. And so I've deleted all those apps. I don't use the Google Docs app anymore. Yeah. I don't use the HubSpot app. I don't use any of those because I don't, I don't need to. You don't have to use the Dropbox app because you can access files through the web interface, but it kind of makes more sense to use it to get access through the files app. Yeah. So I, I definitely, on that particular case, I definitely still use the app. When I mess around with files, I, I need it needs to be a little better than a web interface for me. But that's the exception. Yeah. And, and frankly, the Dropbox app on iOS uh, is great. And the way it integrates with, with files is even better. Okay, so for me, the big problem in using a tablet is is entering text. And most of my work involves text. You can use an external keyboard because, I mean, how much typing can you do with the on-screen keyboard? I touch type, and there's no way that I could touch type very quickly on an iPad screen because there's no feedback under my fingers. So I don't feel when I've touched a certain key. So it was just a few weeks ago, you recommended to me the Studio Neat Canopy. And if you look in my article on the Intego Mac Security blog, you'll see a photo of my setup of my 11-inch iPad with the Studio Neat Canopy, which is a keyboard case that holds an Apple Magic Keyboard. And this is a brilliant device because I didn't want to spend the money on Apple's keyboard folio, which is something like 20% of the cost of the iPad. And this allowed me to use a keyboard that's full size that I'm comfortable with already. And also, if you look in the photo, I've got my iPad in portrait mode, not in landscape. And you can't do that with Apple's keyboard case, can you? You can't, and that is the big differentiator. So I, in full disclosure, I am a little bit of a keyboard addict. Um, I have too many. But the those two that you mentioned are the two that I use, they, and they're totally different use cases. When I'm at my desk and I'm working on a document, like a contract or a brochure or something that is meant to be in in portrait mode because that's how p- paper is typically. That's how we read, that's how yeah. we read. I will absolutely use the Canopy with the Apple keyboard, and it's a great experience. But on the go, I would never take that anywhere. That's it at my desk kind of a thing. And on the go, I use right. the Apple keyboard. And the Apple keyboard's action is pretty good. The 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 folio, it's, yeah. the action's nice. It feels like I'm uh, slapping plastic, but it's it's okay. Now, Josh doesn't use an iPad very much. Um, have you ever done any serious work on an iPad? 
Um, no, not really. Okay. I, I'm, I, I'm kind of the, the complete opposite where like, I kind of, uh, I, when the iPad was first introduced, I kind of felt like, okay, well, that's a toy. That's great. Um, you know, I need a MacBook because really, you didn't see that as being the future. You know, I mean, the iPhone had already been around for a few years. Sure. For me, it seemed that once the iPad came out, this was like, wow, this is where we're going in 10 or 15 years. Yeah, I don't know. At the time, I felt like, okay, well, a lot of other companies have tried the tablet thing. Microsoft, you know, completely failed with tablets before the iPad came out. And, and, and you know, I mean, Microsoft it was the company with like the dominant operating system. They still are the dominant desktop operating system. And um, it just didn't translate well to tablets. And that's probably the biggest downfall, I think, of the old school, you know, Microsoft tablets. Uh, They were trying to be a laptop and they shouldn't have been. Um, But because of that, having tainted my experience and then also just kind of looking at, okay, well, this is a big iPhone. I wasn't sure, okay, how how is this going to change my world? And so... I, we do have an, an iPad. Um, my wife uses it more than I do. She uses it for kind of a variety of things. Um, when I'm using it, I don't know. It's mostly for watching videos. And so we're not, I, I'm, I can't say that I'm like a real heavy iPad user. Um, and there's a lot of apps that I feel like I use on the Mac that I just can't get on, a, a, you know, on an iPad. Um, that's a really important thing for me that the apps that I use are on both platforms. Um, I'm not going to commit to an app that's iPad only if it's doing something important, um, and, and have to have a workaround on the Mac or vice versa. I see. So for you, it's, you come from the perspective of, okay, if I'm going to start using an app, I want to make sure that it already exists on both platforms. Exactly. Gotcha. Yeah. So for instance, my text editor of choice is IA writer. Um, they have a Mac version. Originally, they had a Mac version, and then they rolled out iOS. Um, they use iCloud. I can. What I generally do is I write a draft of an article on my iMac. Then I go sit in my comfy chair, get a cup of tea, put some music on, take my iPad with the pencil, open up IA Writer, and edit the same article using the pencil. We didn't talk about the pencil yet, and I know you use that a lot. Um, but this is, and for me, I like this workflow of being able to change positions of being able to change to a different device to see my work differently. Now, I work with text. If you're working with spreadsheets, I'm not sure how easy it is to work on an iPad, Ian. No, I I was just going to add to that, that that is one of those things. And I'm not going to go on too much of a tangent, but it's important here. Steve Jobs said this a long time ago. He's talking about trucks, right? Early on in in car and automobiles, everything was a truck. And after a while, we realized we didn't always need a truck. The same thing's true here. That I would consider to be a truck app using using Excel. That's absolutely yeah. a truck app. That's something that I'm going to use my 27-inch screen. I'm going to have all the cells. However, there's a lot of times when you don't need to use a truck to just edit a, a cell in a spreadsheet. I also use spreadsheets in the field when I'm talking to a, to a client. I'm standing somewhere, and I have it on my little iPad. I use an iPad mini as well, and I'm able to show them and just tap in and change a number. That's really great. So it's hard to throw Excel perfectly into the truck versus car. There are times when it's it depends on how you use yeah, Excel. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's absolutely yeah. a truck app at times. So if you were in real estate and you were giving a simulation for a mortgage, you could use an iPad Mini 
type in your numbers and show it to someone. But if, as you say, you, you're using a big complex spreadsheet where you need to see everything, yeah. then the bigger screen helps. I would never build that spreadsheet on an iPad for the first time. <laughs> That's crazy. So the one thing I want to talk about before we finish is the ergonomics of using an iPad um, as opposed to a laptop. The problem is that even with a keyboard, you can't get away from touching the screen of the iPad to do certain things. So there are keyboard shortcuts. You can launch apps by using uh, Spotlight, press um, Command Space, type the first couple letters of an app name, press Return. But eventually, you're going to have to be tapping, and you get what's called Gorilla Arm Syndrome, which Steve Jobs once said, after a short period of time, you start to fatigue, and after an extended period of time, your arm wants to fall off. And I find this, even if I'm just editing a document um, with my iPad and the keyboard, and I'll use the pencil to touch things because it's easier. Once you start having to select text or select a cell in a, a spreadsheet or anything else, you have to touch again. And ergonomically, this means that for me, I could never use just an iPad. The, now, the keyboard, any keyboard you, well, I can't say any, the keyboards we've discussed uh, they yes. have arrow keys, and that is a big deal. You know, you can do shift and, yeah. and use the arrow, and that's how you're selecting text. I, I don't select a ton of text, but I do position the cursor. I, I think it, and I'm no ergonomic expert, uh, I think that the gains you get by sitting back in a chair and looking at something, it many times can outweigh the, the gorilla arm idea. I think if you have to use a little bit and do that, it, it seems to be okay. Uh, and the pencil, I've never, I just don't use a pencil as a pointing device. That's not my, it's. Well, it can tap on anything. Now I know you use an app called good notes where you take handwritten notes. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and the pencil's great for that, but it's also a pointing device to tap anything, tap a, a, an app icon to launch it, tap to go into settings. Uh, I do that often. I do want to talk about that pencil idea, the note-taking idea, because that's the beginning of my quest to use this. It was in late 2016. I'll never forget it. I sat down at a meeting with a partner of mine, a software engineer, and he sat down and pulled out the brand new at the time 12.9-inch iPad Pro, the very first one, and started taking notes. And I had always thought of the pencil. Kirk, we were doing the show. We were doing the committed. I kind of made fun of the pencil. Go back and look for yep. that episode. That's funny. And and I always thought as it was a drawing device. I thought it was something you used to draw pictures, and I'm horrible at drawing. And I saw him taking these wonderful, neat, nice notes, and keeping in mind, he was keep taking notes without a laptop screen between the two of us. This was laying flat on the table. I could glance like over. A pad of paper like would a be, pad yeah. of paper. There was no barrier between us. He took these great notes, and I literally left the meeting and drove to the Apple store and bought an iPad Pro. It was it was that <laughs> it was that much of a game changer for me. Now, the the one other ergonomic problem is the size of the bigger iPad, which uh, is pretty much as heavy as a MacBook Air, essentially. So there's there's a real trade-off. If you buy the larger iPad with the keyboard folio, whatever they call it now, smart keyboard folio, um, you're easily up into MacBook Air territory, if not low-end MacBook Pro. Um, so price-wise, you're not really saving. The weight comes close to an iPad Air. Again, with the 12.9-inch iPad. Now, I did some measurements. My 11-inch um, iPad, uh, Apple Folio cover, keyboard and Apple Pencil, it's 1 kilo and 43 grams. Um, a MacBook Air is 1 kilo and 25 grams. And my 13-inch MacBook Pro is 1 kilo, 353 grams. So you're not really saving much in terms of weight. You're not really saving much in terms of price because these iPad Pros are expensive. Um, but 
what I get out of it when I do use it is that simplicity of not having this whole frustrating Mac OS in front of me. Um, and, you know, a lot of people, uh, people Ian, that you and I know talk about the iOSification of Mac OS, but I say bring it on. Um, I would love to have this one or two window paradigm be much more common instead of, you know, constantly things all over the place. There's just a focus that I can get. I find it makes it easier to focus. The other thing, too, is that an iPad is generally always on. Even when it's even when yeah. you close the lid or, or you push the sleep button, it's always on in a way that a sleeping MacBook is not. And so I've so many times would take my MacBook to a client and I open it up and all of a sudden it's downloading all the mail and it's updating Dropbox and it's doing all this stuff. Uh, and I use cellular iPads. I, I am completely all in on cellular iPads because I don't want to fish around for a Wi-Fi. I know I can tether to my phone. I get it. I understand all of that, but I don't have to. And all my mail is there and all my files have been updated. And you can do, depending on where you live, you can do cellular plans. Usually the the prepaid, you can do it pretty, pretty inexpensively. But this idea that I don't have to mess around with it, it's just everything's there. Everything's there. I'm on. I do think it's a really great thing. I, I I definitely agree. If you're going to get an iPad, it definitely makes sense to get one that that has that built in, especially if that's one if that's your main device. If if you're if you're like me and you know you you occasionally use an iPad, you can probably get away with tethering it to your iPhone. But if it's your main device, it, it totally makes sense to to get a data plan for it. Yeah, I think we now have three different. Um, use cases. You have the desktop computer where you don't move. You have the laptop computer where you move, but you're going to be at a desk or a coffee shop or a table or a tray table on, a, on an airplane. And you have the iPad or tablet, generic tablet, which gives you this flexibility of being any place. And, and there are um, constraints for each one. There are limitations. There are pros and cons. But I'm I'm seeing a lot more future with the iPad than I am with the computer these days. Interesting. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. And, and again, I know I'm kind of like the odd man out in this conversation, but um, when it comes to like the, the so-called iOSification of Mac OS um, there, there are some things that I think can be adapted from the iOS and iPad OS platforms to Mac OS that could certainly improve Mac OS the way, way we have it today. Uh, at, at the same time, I I'm, I'm a little resistant. Maybe I'm just like, I don't know, resistant to change in general. I don't know, but um, there's you certain like messing things. around with stuff. You want command line access. I, I really do. I'm, I'm the kind of person who really likes to tinker and it, you know, in each new version of Mac OS, there are more ways that Apple is restricting you, which, you know, there are pros and cons there from a security point of view. That's great because Apple's doing things to protect you, but at the same time, that also makes it more difficult for the tinkerers. And, and so there's, there's definitely pros and cons there. I think the iOSification of Mac OS is two pieces though. It's the interface and it's the, the backend the, un, under the hood. The interface right. stuff, I'm not into that. If I'm going to use my truck, my iMac, I don't want this 27-inch screen to have one app in it. That's ridiculous. So I'm with people that don't like the iOSification of the Mac for an interface. But on the back-end stuff, I, I agree. Bring it on. Let the let PowerNap, which is the technology that Apple says that you're sleeping but you're not really sleeping, it, it, it's not good. It doesn't really do anything. It, <laughs> let that be an actual thing 
then I would sleep my iMac. I never sleep my iMac. My iMac sits with the screen off. I, I don't sleep the iMac because I can't sit here and wait for it to do its thing. When I need to use it, I need to use it right now. Yeah. Um, just one last thing. Maybe I haven't noticed, but is it possible to connect an external display to an iPad yet, or is that not a thing? That is a thing. I've never done it, <laughs> but okay. it is a thing that can it's be done. It's a nascent done. thing. And that's, you, you mentioned the, the, the thumb drives. That's the idea that the new iPad Pros have USB-C, which opens all these yeah. capabilities, including the ability to hook up an external monitor. Again, I've never done it, uh, but it's not difficult, yeah. and it's not crazy. Well, when you see a, a lot of Apple's promotional photos for the MacBook Pro show a MacBook Pro connected to an external display, so it's kind of taking the portable device and turning it into a truck by having a bigger display. If we can get that with the iPad, if I can have my iPad on my desk and with a 21-inch display for when I'm writing a long document, that's really tempting. Yeah, and you can do it with an Apple TV. You can also do it with HDMI. Uh, I do it with a TV all the time when I'm sharing something. Okay, Ian, thanks for joining us. Um, if anyone listening has made the move from laptop to iPad, or has tried and gone back the other way, drop us a comment on the show page. Josh, you got to get into the iPad a little more. You got to try. <laughs> I, I know your iPad's a few years old, and I think you do need an iPad Pro to truly appreciate um, a lot of what's available now. But I, I don't know. As I said earlier, this for me is the future. Um, the, the truck is the past. The, the, the small, light device, relatively light, is definitely the future. Okay, Ian, thanks very much for joining us. And Josh, until next week, stay secure. All right, stay secure. Thanks for listening to the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security, with your hosts, Kirk McElhern and Josh Long. To get every weekly episode, be sure to subscribe at Apple Podcasts or in your favorite podcast app. And if you can, leave a rating, a like, or a review. Links to topics and information mentioned in the podcast can be found in the online show notes for the episode at podcast.intego.com. The Intego website is also where to find details on the full line of Intego security and utility software. Intego.com. <laughs>